everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So, we got a Q&A going on. Kind of cool, can't lie. Thank you. Oh, yeah, also, this Q&A was brought to you by Papacy Hub, which is a Discord with a lot of resources. Actually, I really love it, and it's really great. There's even a Militant Thomist channel in there, so I will copy that invite link and put that baby in the live chat. There you go. So join Papacy Hub. They got got a lot of great stuff in there. I mean, they just got quotes and quotes and quotes and quotes. Like they have like 10 things on the Papacy. Like a bajillion. No, they have more than 10 things on the Papacy. They got like 30 things of quotes. It's kind of nuts how much stuff they have. Everything from proving baptism by pouring to sacramentology to lumen gentium to... Trinity to created grace to diphysitism to add extra operations. Yeah, this is uh to homosexuality to to contra female altar servers. Dang, this is uh very based. Marian apparitions. Yeah, they got a lot of great resources in there. So all you you should join Papacy Hub. They're really great. And then as a quick reminder, if you join, uh, click that join button right below you become a militant Thomist YouTube member, then you will basically get an unlimited super chat and you can use it uh, for a hundred questions a video if you want. Um, obviously there's practical considerations to how many questions of yours I can answer, but basically it's as many as you want. So if you, if you want to help out, you also get a cool little uh, Chad Thomist icon next to your name. Uh, so, so yeah, there you go. Do that. Okay. I'm going to start on it. Um, it's already, already, uh, the live chats filling up a bit. It's only been three minutes and you guys are putting in questions. So again, probably not going to get to all of them. I try to go through as fast as I can, but, um, if you are a member or throw in a super chat or, uh, if you put a little P next to your name, and I know you're a patron also, I will uh, uh, answer those first. But, yeah, other than that, we have, like, 50 minutes. I will try to answer as many as I can. If I can't answer your question, uh, I'm sorry, but I'll probably just skip it or just tell you I can't answer it. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to try to rush all through these after that very circular um, introduction. Okay, I'll ask my question early. Catholic Gabe, lover of the channel. I'll ask my question early. Did St. Newman uh, think the 39 articles were compatible with Catholicism even after his conversion? Okay, that is a that is a really great question. So a lot of people misunderstand what St. Newman was trying to do in Track 90. Track 90 was really, um, there was a practice in Anglicanism that had been going going on for centuries at that point. The It wasn't just the Anglo-Catholics doing it, but the evangelicals. But basically what they wanted to do is because the 39 articles were legally enforced, uh, they had to find some way to interpret their, their doctrine, um, that their conclusions really, uh, through the light of the 39 articles. So you'd have things like, Oh, but it says general council here. It doesn't say ecumenical council here. Oh, it says the Romish doctrine of purgatory. It doesn't say purgatory. And and things like that, where basically 
you, what you have is you, you just have no serious um, appreciation for the actual intent of the original authors. It's kind of just like we're, we're going to make sure that we technically are able to interpret the third articles in such a way as this uh, extremely convoluted um, doctrine is going to be able to, to fit into the 39 articles. So this has been going on uh, for a very long time. A lot of people had done it at that point. And that was really just Newman's uh, way of trying to do that um, and and uh, try to reconcile the theology of Trent with the theology of the Third Nine Articles. I do not believe for a single second that he genuinely believed that the original authors of the Third Nine Articles would have, um, in the direct intent of their words, would have thought that it was saying what he was saying. He was really trying to show that technically you could kind of interpret the articles if you just interpret this and that like that in order to be in line with the Council of Trent. Um, after his conversion, he didn't really uh, think so either. So I hope that's helpful. Absurd scandal. As some animals have mere self-recognition, can use tools creatively in new ways, can delay gratification for minutes for taste or treats, could we just accept some have aspects of rationality? So it's interesting because um, I, I don't have much to comment on this, but St. Thomas does say that the higher animals reflect our rationality more, but not uh, that they are formally rational. So that's the distinction that's made. Oh, great question. Is making what's known as YouTube poops for fun okay? That is editing sentences to make people say fun or absurd stuff, adding effects for comedic um comedic effects and stuff like that yeah i think it's fine i think it's kind of funny um i i don't i, I because everybody it, it's in a certain context where everybody knows that this isn't what the person actually said like it's it's, it's uh it's not like you're trying to deceive anybody okay ave so true oh yeah and just as a reminder um i, I don't know how many of you guys saw uh, my posts on Twitter and the Discord today, but my grandmother is um, nearing the end of her life. So, uh, if you guys would would please um, pray for her, I will um, let you guys know when she passes, so everybody can join me in praying for the repose of her soul. Um, so that that would be much appreciated, guys. Okay. So how should we interpret Protestant conversion stories? Many people say they felt freed from shame and renewed before baptism among prots. Could God have justified them pre-baptism uniquely as they are prots? That is a very good question. And a good person to read on this is St. John Henry Newman in some of his works can't remember precisely which works will write about the type of Eucharistic devotion that he had before he converted and the, the sort of mysterious workings of, of grace, even um, despite a false system that you're a part of. So my general comments on that is we can affirm uh, strictly that there wasn't grace through the false system that they're a part of that Protestantism, qua Protestantism, um, does not give grace. So, for example, um, 
my son, he was he was baptized while we were still Anglicans. And one time um, I just happened to offhandedly say uh, when talking to a priest, it's like, yes, my son was baptized Anglican. And he said, no, your son was baptized Catholic by an Anglican. So it's it's very important to to distinguish the fact that the the grace, any sort of grace that is being received is not Protestant, Protestant grace. It is um, it is Catholic grace, which is being used despite the uh, the false system in which they are a part of. So when I when I hear a lot of these conversion stories, much of it is um, sort of uh, psychological uh, issues that are occurring there. The the sort of freeing from shame and, and that sort of language. Um, it, it really is something which is merely uh, psychological that has a lot to do with being accepted by a new group that they are a part of and um, and, and, and such like that. So, yeah, I do think a lot of it's psychological, but it also um, there it can be genuine, but we have to remember those important distinctions. My question is kind of long. Can I DM you on Twitter? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Uh, so thoughts on the theology of John Scotus here, Gina, I, I don't have many thoughts. I just, all I know is that he's bad. Let me see. Um, I know Rickaby in his book, Scholasticism, which actually I reprint. I will grab the link to throw below. It's really good. Short, like 80 to hundred page, very readable introduction to, um, Scholastic history, really good stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Very easy read. Um, definitely uh, great. Um, and then he also talks about uh, scholasticism as a method, the future of scholasticism. Of course, he was writing um, very early on, but uh, definitely the, very early on in the neo-scholastic uh, retrieval movement, um, revival movement, that is. Gosh, I can talk today, I promise. But it's still uh, really interesting to read a lot of what he said. Uh, Rickaby's Glasticism. Um, hmm. I might not be able to uh, find it. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is this is the only uh, the only con uh, comment that he has about Eugenia. It's really funny. Um, the pantheist John Scotus Eugenia uh, talking about how he had an obsession with Plato. Um, more collect correctly, Eugenia, not to be confused with Duns Scotus. Being a pantheist, Eugenio was no scholastic, much less the founder of scholasticism. Chad, yes. Debunked. Yeah, so that's, that's, about, that's about all. Okay. Okay, so question. Since creation is finite, is it true that it has aspects which reflect God and also aspects which are unique and don't reflect God? Eris and classical theists seem to affirm this also on Twitter. Okay, that is a that is a very good question. 
So <clears throat> um, when it comes to when it comes to created being, it is uh, there are what are called transcendentals, those things which transcend uh, all the categories of being and anything, substance, accidents, relations, etc. Well, relations are type of accident, but um, everything insofar as it has being is is true. It is good. Um, it is. And then there's three other relations, which are thingness, um, otherness and unity. But really, uh, the only three we really need to focus on is unity, <clears throat> truth and goodness. So everything insofar as it as as it is a being um participating uh, in existing, uh, not in itself as God does, but in, uh, it can be said to exist in another that is um, existing by a certain participated and created similitude um, in God. So uh, does it reflect uh, and participate in that truth, goodness, and unity, which is found in God? <clears throat> now, obviously, there isn't a perfect mirror because there's what's called an analogy of proper proportionality. So the there is a uh, certain certain jump that you need to make between, metaphysically between the created um, order and then between God. So uh, what unique um, sort of aspects of creation as being in in, in that in that there is certain uh, so, so really the way we we think about um, what are called the negative names which is going to be what is unique to creation like um, the fact that we are compound where God is is simple the fact that we are finite where God is infinite what we're really doing is we are negating rather than negating things from God, we are negating certain perfections of ourself. So we are unique. Uh, there are certain unique aspects uh, which are imperfections, but there are no perfect created perfections that, uh, that do not pre-exist in a more eminent manner in God. So I hope that was a roundabout way of answering your question. Okay, Vermilius, in what ways would St. Thomas's view of authority contrast with that of Protestants and their insistence on sola scriptura? Okay, great question. It's going to take me a minute to pull up something for you. So, sorry about this. I, there's just a really good chart, basically, about this question that I need to, that I love showing. Okay, yeah, borrow for one hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is from uh, Father uh, Lagrange in his uh, commentary on Prima Pars. Really good. Um, okay, will you just show me the chart? Oh, there it is. I almost had the chart already pulled up. Okay. Boom. Okay. Let me. So 
sorry this is taking me so long. This is why I turned this into. Okay, there you go. This will help out a lot. Okay, so this is from Lagrange's commentary on Prima Pars. So when it comes to the theological sources, this is really going to be the, the chart. So we have what are called uh, proper theological sources and then extrinsic theological sources. So when it comes to proper theological sources, those are those things in which we get the, the matter of theology. So the various theological propositions are present in <clears throat> the, uh, the proper theological sources. Now with extrinsic theological sources, those are things which uh, they're handmaids, uh, which are able to help formulate and uh, be used as instruments when it comes to theology, but don't necessarily contain uh, theological uh, propositions in the same way that proper theological sources do. So I'm going to start with extrinsic. So um, it can either be apodictic, which is basically um, something which is uh, beyond repute. You, you can't uh, disagree with it. It's uh, properly authoritative. So this is the natural power of reason and history as we can rely on certainty. So this is going to be uh, really reason. And then probable, something which can be disagreed with, but um, but offers a likely source. This is going to be the authority of philosophers. So this is those are the extrinsic, uh, really philosophical, um, philosophical sources. Uh, you can think of it that way. So with um, Protestantism, there's going to be there's going to be uh, agreement when it comes to uh, the apodictic and the probable. Uh, extrinsic sources. Yeah. Yeah. The, basically, um, there's going to be agreement there. Now, when it comes to uh, proper theological sources, this is where we're going to begin to get into some disagreement. So uh, there's probable proper theological sources, authority of the Holy Fathers, authority of scholastic theologians. Because of the Holy Fathers uh, in themselves, uh, each one individually, and the scholastic theologians, each one individually, they uh, do not actually have apodictic uh, authority, which is beyond any sort of repute. They're actually just sort of probable uh, witnesses to the truth individually. Now, them considered together, they actually fall under uh, the ordinary magisterium, but uh, that, that's for another time. So really, yeah, Protestants can agree to this. There's a certain probable authority to the Holy Fathers. There's a certain probable authority to the scholastic theologians. Now, when we get into the proper apodictic sources, this, this is where there's going to be disagreement. So I'm going to actually uh, kind of just lump together the authority of the Catholic Church and the authority of the Roman Pontiff. So this is what we would uh, think of as, generally speaking, um, magisterial authority. Now, when it comes to magisterial authority, magisterial authority actually is differently related um, to the apostolic deposit <clears throat> than sacred scripture and divine tradition are. When it comes to, uh, and this is why this chart falls short a little bit, because it doesn't properly distinguish categories within the proper apodictic 
But when it comes to the authority of the magisterium, that's going to be something which is the regular fide proxima. Regular fide proxima. Something which is the rule of faith close to us. It's going to be uh, something which to us is the rule of faith. Is that we look to the magisterium as something which is um, a, a certain teaching authority uh, in the church. And for Protestants, they're completely fine with having, um, actually, even if, if, if you read some, for example, Anglican authors, they're fine with the authority of the Roman pontiff. They're fine with the authority of ecumenical councils. They're fine with the authority of the ordinary magisterium, but not as apodictic. Rather, something which is probable. So um, that that's going to be a major, major division right there is going to be uh, the way in which... Um, the regular fide proxima uh, as as apodictic rather than as probable. And then when it comes to divine uh, tradition and sacred scripture, um, we can just call that the the apostolic deposit. Um, when it comes to the apostolic deposit, that I, I say that sacred scripture is uh, materially sufficient. Uh, some believe in partum partum. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much uh, straightforward is... Uh, if I say uh, in my materially uh, material sufficiency view uh, as as something which is apodictic, uh, yeah, the the Protestants actually would would quite agree, um, the classical ones at least, with with what I say. But the huge difference is going to be on the uh, regular fide proxima, where these um, are actually the remote rule of faith, and I would say the sacred scriptures would be the materially sufficient remote rule of faith. So I hope that is uh, helpful. Oh, no, his question was covering up the bottom ones. Oh, no, actually, it showed him. Okay, I hope that is helpful. Okay, I'm going to check to see if there's any super chats that I missed. Oh, my gosh, you guys have so many questions. No way I'm getting through these. <clears throat> okay. Sorry, I'm coughing up. <coughs> that just made it worse. I've been sick recently. Okay, so... Oh, wait, no, I forgot to answer that one. Have you seen the episodes of Aiken's Mysterious World? What do you think? I personally really enjoyed I don't really watch Aiken. What exactly is meant by Nola Salus? I'm assuming you mean Extra Ecclesium Nola Salus. Why does it matter if you reject the church if Thessalonians 4.14 believe that Jesus wrote, Jesus died, rose again? Okay, great question. So the reason we say extra ecclesium null salus is we can take that in multiple, uh, I mean, think about this in multiple uh, ways. So when it comes to the, the uh, distinction between the soul and the body of the church, when it comes to the soul of the church, those are those who are um, true participants in the, in the mystical body of Christ. And then those in the body can, uh, can be uh, severed, uh, from the grace of Christ by mortal sin, but still exteriorly belong to the body of Christ. Now, if we're talking <clears throat> about the the soul of the church, uh, and you can look at, uh, for example, uh, Hunter talks about this um, in his Outlines of Dogmatic Theology, which I am the, the printer of, too. Looks like this. <clears throat> when it comes to the soul of the church, that is uh, mystically united to the body of Christ, participants in the grace of Christ. <clears throat> oh my gosh, that is, <clears throat> my cough is terrible. That is absolutely necessary for salvation. Um, there, there's no exceptions, none, zero. 
don't. But uh, when it comes to the outward body, we say that it is normatively necessary for salvation. So that means, yes, there are possible uh, and rare exceptions that can occur, but unlikely. And now what is the reason uh, for this? Well, we can think about the reason for this in multiple senses. So the best way to think about it is to look at the Nicene Creed. So the article of the Nicene Creed that I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the fact that Christ established uh, the church as his uh, instrument for bringing about the salvation of the world is an article of faith. So to deny that is to uh, deny our Lord Jesus Christ uh, de facto. So that is, I hope that is a helpful, helpful way of thinking about that. And then also uh, in, in a second instance, um, it's necessary because he established church, the, the church as his, the instrument of salvation to bring about the salvation of the world, um, to, to, be his, to be his body, um, to where he is, he is his head uh, working through the body. So I hope that is helpful. Or, or the simple response, how can you accept Christ but not his body? If one is called to live the sacrament of matrimony, but if he died alone, it's a sin sign for his damnation or not? No, no, no. Are there any video games you like to play? No, I don't play video games. St. Thomas says it is proper to give Latria to the cross. Is he correct? Isn't giving an object Latria idolatry? The best way to think of this question is that when when giving uh, Latria to the cross, the the reason is not for the wood itself, but for the blood that stains it. So really in uh, giving Latria to Christ, um, you're not giving... Latria, I mean, giving Latria to, to the cross, you're not giving Latria to the cross, you're giving Latria to God. Um, and then uh, it can, out, outwardly, it seems like uh, it's the cross, but it's really the, the blood which is shed on it. Can we anathematize right honorable Limbu and Dominic OP for VCing right now? What? During a live stream, you're VCing in my Discord? You'll feel my wrath. I'm kicking them both out of the out of the call right now. Bro, there's four of them now. I'm just gonna disconnect them all just to mess with them. <laughs> okay, they're all disconnected. Trolled. Okay, specifically about the same stuff. The Protestants in question say they felt freed from shame due to sin and guilt from it. Feeling freed from sin and saved when doing all their calls or giving life to Christ is when it happens. Well, the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Could we say the proximate rule of faith is the Holy Spirit through sacred tradition in the general sense, i.e. sacred scripture, magisterium, the monuments, etc.? Well, yeah, I guess we could say um, 
it it's difficult because we're in a different context now. Uh, because ordinarily throughout history, the proximate role of faith, which is just be whatever you hear at church from your priest, uh, the role of faith proximate to you, which you need to assent to, is basically just going to be the liturgy and the preaching of your priest or your bishop. But now um, a lot of things which were which were once more remote become more proximate to you. Um, so, so yeah, I guess it's technically um, sacred scripture uh, really definitely went from something which was almost strictly remote to something which is now in the daily life of the, of the believer, but still as a practice, when it comes to um, the, the function of the living voice of teaching uh, it is, it is solely the, the magisterium. Okay. Uh, what is the main Protestant interpretation of James 2 and what are its flaws? Okay, I'm going to check to see if there was a super chat because there are an absurd amount of questions here. Okay. Okay, so eh, do I want to answer this? I guess I'll answer this really quickly. Um, so... Some say basically that the works which is be which are being spoken of in James two are something which are merely uh, vindictive uh, that they're vindicating uh, the certain person uh, rather than uh, being an act which is uh, formally justifying and actually that's the interpretation Saint Thomas takes and that's the interpretation I take so yeah um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm cr cringe protestantizing but yeah I, I don't think i don't think james 2 is really a good place to go when it comes to when it comes to this discussion but that's my really short answer okay so since jesus ate food not just to prove he's physical but ate and drank with disciples in gender uh, in gender in general and likely ate the fish he baked does this mean we could enjoy uh goose eating pleasure in in the resurrection Okay, let me let me just think. Now, when it comes to the the various gifts that are given, um, there there's a list of gifts, and um, the entire list of gifts uh, that are given are slipping out of my mind right now. Can't remember them. But there's a list of gifts because of the unity of the body with the soul receiving the beatific vision um, that there's actually an effect on the body and it's a uh, spiritual body as St. Paul calls it, I'm trying to find the specific work that St. Thomas talks about it in the Articles of the Faith and the Sacraments of the Church. There you go. So... There you go, the virtue of the sacraments. So the, okay, so the first gift of the body is impassibility. The second is brilliancy. The third is agility. And the fourth is subtlety. Uh, and subtlety, they can penetrate what they desire. And when it comes to impassibility, um, there's not going to be any corruption to the body. 
So with these changes of the body, I don't see any reason why it's impossible. But also uh, when it comes to the various pleasures of the beatific vision, especially in the various different uh, images in which it's presented in sacred scripture, there'd be no reason to do so because the pleasure of eating is going to be encapsulated and elevated by the, the pleasure which is gained from the beatific vision which is obvious because uh, it kind of goes back also to the question that we went, that, that we were talking about earlier, is that all of the various perfections of created things are contained eminently in God. Therefore, you could say all of the various pleasures which are uh, contained in, in uh, corporeal and created things are contained eminently in God. Um, if God is omnipotent and omnipresent because he can be in heaven at all times, can be present in all places at all times, does the same apply to Satan, who, while being in hell at all times, still tempts? No, it does not. And I will quickly tell you why. So I want to come. I didn't think I'd have to answer a question on angelic location today, but OK, so angels in relation to place whether an angel can be in several places at once, which is going to be in Summa Theologiae Prima Pars, question 52, article 2. I'm going to share my screen real quick. And I know I'm, I'm going to be a party pooper on this one. I'm just going to ruin everybody's fun. So whether an angel can be in several places at once. On the contrary, uh, St. John of Damascus says that while the angels are in heaven, they are not on earth. So I answer that an angel's power and nature are finite, whereas the divine power and essence, which is the universal cause of all things, is infinite. Consequently, God, through his power, touches all things and not merely present in some places, but is everywhere. Now, since the angel's power is finite, it does not extend to all things, but to one determined thing. For whatever is compared with one power must be compared therewith as one determined thing. Consequently, since all being is compared as one thing to God's universal power, so is one particular being compared as one with the angelic power. Hence, since the angel is in a place by the application of his power to the place, it follows that he is not everywhere nor in several places, but only in one place. So, sorry about that. Ruin the fun. Okay, so... I have a sworn enemy in the person of Paul Facey, known as Antipope Paul VII. Um, have you read Eric Ybarra's take on penal substitution here? Lots of Catholic apologists say it's heresy. I have not. I have not at all. But I'm sure Eric is a heretic. Yeah, I've, I, I, I'm not going to give my takes on the on the uh, the atonement because people cry. Yes, Catholics can hold it, but I will not be explaining any further. Maybe I'll do it on a different time. <clears throat> so I've heard that Aquinas used the phrase faith alone. How can we properly understand this phrase of Aquinas? Yes, he did use the phrase faith alone in multiple places. Uh, for example, in his in his most famous hymn, uh, Tantum Ergo, he also uses it in 
his commentary on Romans is another place he uses it. Actually, I can search it uh, right now. I can tell you how many times he uses the phrase uh, sola fide. He uses it five times in the commentary on the sentences, once in Summa Contractiles, 14 in the Summa Theologiae, five in disputed questions, two in his Pauline commentaries, two in his Catina, and uh, twice in his um, liturgical works. So yeah, he does use it quite a bit, actually. So how are we to understand this? Okay, so when it comes to the instrument of justification, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in a little hint. Actually, we are justified by faith alone. And now before you before you throw the counsel of Trent at me, we have to understand the what we mean by those words. So what do we mean by faith and what do we mean by alone? So there is a certain distinction, which is in Catholic theology, between uh, fides formata and fides informat, uh, formatis. So formed faith and uninformed faith. So when it comes to uninformed faith, that is the type of faith alone which does not justify. That is a merely intellectual assent unto the propositions of the gospel. That alone does not justify. And this is what the Protestants actually will call his, merely historical faith. And they say that that faith does not justify. They'll call it the dead faith of the book of James. Now, when it comes to the type of faith alone that does justify, it's going to be what's called uh, fides formata, formed faith, which is faith working uh, by charity, as, uh, as St. Paul says, faith which is formed uh, by charity um, as the traditional languages. That is the type of faith alone which does justify. And St. John Henry Newman calls it the sole internal instrument of justification, while the external uh, instrument of justification is going to be baptism, which, again, um, that is something which the Protestants, at least in the classical form, would agree with as Francis Turton teaches basically the same thing. Um, and is there anything else? Oh, yeah, there is. Um, in, in the Protestants, they would call this type of uh, faith alone, which justifies, rather than merely historical faith, which is going to be how we define faith, it's going to be what's called fiduciary faith. So a certain uh, firm trusting in God, which is not how we define faith. So it, it is really a huge game of definitions that we're playing here. But yes, the language of faith alone, if we mean by that uh, fides formata, is going to be something which is licit because as St. Thomas teaches in his Romans commentary, it is not the acts or works of justice which justify, but the virtue of justice. And the virtue of justice is going to be faith which is formed by charity. Okay, so... Since uh, quantity and extension is a positive attribute of many creatures, would this not, uh, would, would this be a, uh, sorry, uh, something uh, unique about creatures that doesn't reflect God? It's not a perfection, but it's still positive reality. Yeah, I thought we were explicitly talking about perfections. But again, it's something which is finite, uh, because by quantity and extension, it's something which is finite. So uh, it's, it's a certain um, imperfection. Could you write a book called An Open Letter to Confuse Thomas where you debunk Palamism? So true. Yeah, there's some guy, uh, uh, some Dominican priest who's writing an essay about how actually Palamism is like the true Thomism. But I, I'm blocked by the guy on Twitter. So fun. 
Okay. Good question. Good question. What's your favorite food and drink? Any TV shows or animated shows you think is the best? Okay. My favorite food. I love Maryland blue crabs with Old Bay. I'm from Maryland. So best food on earth. Best, best food by far. Or like a nice, uh, like a nice steamed crab with Old Bay on it. And oh yeah, the, the best. Or like a crab cake. Or if you get a soft shell crab and you you fry that, and make a sandwich. Ooh, it's so good. Favorite drink? Um, Guinness. Guinness. I'm a Guinness guy. Delicious. Then any TV shows or animated shows you think is the best? Um, TV shows. I don't really watch TV shows. What is one I thought was really good? Uh, I thought The Young Pope was really good. I really liked it. It's kind of a troll against the against the modern world. It, accidentally, they trolled themselves. Okay, checking for super chats. Oh my gosh, there's like a hundred. Okay, what I'm gonna do real quick is I'm actually just gonna just do speed run. Did Thomas Aquinas teach faith alone in his commentary on Romans? Yes, but with a distinction still laid out above. If Gregory Palamas is in hell and the church permits his veneration, would this invalidate the church's claim of indefectibility? No, because it's not the ordinary magisterium which is doing so, uh, because it's merely a local uh, liturgy. So, in a Thomist world, how does one understand letters of Basil and more when they make mention of energies in light of Catholic and divine simplicity? Well, by energies, we would merely be uh, thinking of the working of divine power or potentia activia. Activa. Activia. What is it? Activia. That's like the yogurt brand. Potentia activa. Uh, as I laid out in my, my recent Instagram post. So if you want to go there. At Militant Tumist. How is Kylo Mod and I'm not? I'm more of a fan. Oh, when I was handing out mod rolls, I don't think you were you were here. Christian Mario, praying for your grandma. Thank you, Christian Mario. He's a Chad. Um, I don't think you were here when I was handing out just random mod rolls. Let me let me stop everything and give you a mod roll right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang, there's no way that I'm ever going to um, answer all these questions. Add moderator. There you go. You're mod. Okay. How do Muslims respond to St. Thomas's arguments against Muhammad? Unanswered for 800 years. Okay. Where do you get all of the art in the background? My wife bought them for me. My favorite one is actually kind of hidden. It's, uh, it's that one. That one's my favorite. It's a woodcut that my wife got. And what I want, I want to get a, uh, eventually I want to commission an art piece of Father Lagrange. That'd be beautiful. So, uh, no, what did permitting a local church to venerate someone is not the same as binding universal church to venerate someone on special feast days. Exactly. What's with the frog? What frog? I have a fish right there. Yeah, nobody, apparently Dende, Dende didn't even know how to fish. He had no idea. That's Aquinas, the official. He's been in every single one of my shows since I began. Did you watch the Diamonds video about you? That wasn't a real video. It was a, it was a prank video. 
Like uh, somebody edited it to make it look like they did a video about me, but they didn't actually. The Roman Rite itself in the Catholic Church would be considered universal, effectively speaking, given that it's the mother of all churches and the 99% of Catholics are Roman Rite. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, it would be different if the Roman Rite aired versus the Byzantine Rite airing, because um, simply speaking, uh, all flows from Rome. Mr. Wagner, please check your Twitter DMs. Okay. Okay. Is it going to be like a death threat or something? Is it like a winning lottery ticket? One person you may know. Okay. Oh. Chad, how do I not follow you? Follow. There you go. Hello, Mr. Wagner. I was wondering if you enjoy to live out a live-action role-play fantasies and video games. Yesterday, I was playing the hit game RimWorld, in which I created Patriarch Prime <laughs> as a character. <laughs> in which I created Patriarch Prime as a character on my deep space colony. I had no intention of making this a thriving society, but instead I had Patriarch Prime do meaningless slave labor. When I got bored of him, I had him attack a group of wolves unarmed. He was no match for the for the beasts and was mauled to death. I saved him. <laughs> I saved him and then later sold him into slavery for some food. I would have, oh gosh, I, if I, if I say this, okay. I would have um, consumed, but I'm not a fan of dark meat. Please let me know if you had any similar experiences. I, I have no idea. Um, what that whole thing is, to be honest. <clears throat> Sorry, I just have a cough. That was uh, kind of dark. And no, smokers cough, too many cigs. No, no, that, that's not smoker smokers cough. I, I have a cold. So have you ever read St. Athanasius? Yes, I read his only incarnation. Um, I can't remember. I had an undergrad class of patristic theology readings, and we read a few of his works. But the one that's memorable, obviously, is only incarnation. Everybody should read only incarnation. And then some of his anti-Aryan works. Can't think of much else besides that. So, have you read Theological Representations by Pseudo-Dionysius? I have not, but Pseudo-Dionysius is Chad. Have you read any of uh, St. Thomas's commentaries on Pseudo-Dionysius' works? And uh, by Pseudo-Dionysius, I mean St. Dionysius, obviously. Um, he's pretty, pretty Chad. Prayers for your grandmother also. Thank you. 
If the Trinity cannot be illustrated by reason, how would you convince one with it? You don't. Because when it comes to the ascent to the Trinity, it is something which is purely supernatural intent, infused by God. Really what you do in, oh, thank you, wife, for bringing me dinner. So when it comes to the belief in the Holy Trinity, it is something which is strictly supernatural, something which is completely and utterly gracious, something which is needed to be revealed uh, by God. The role of the apologist when it comes to the Trinity is to declare the belief of the church concerning the Trinity and to remove any objections. And then also you can show the fittingness and coherence that it has with reason. But you cannot convince a single soul of the Trinity uh, by purely natural means. Why did St. Thomas reject the essence energies distinction? Has he not read session 14 of the Council of Chalcedon? He clearly noose. Listen, pal, I've been studying Thomas for 20 years. I know what I'm talking about. So true. I don't get why angels can't be active in multiple places at once. Their wills are immaterial, so it seems their intentions need to be applied to multiple places at once. Well, their immateriality wouldn't have uh wouldn't affect anything um and i would just refer back to to what saint thomas said i don't get why their immateriality would uh, give them some sort of omnipresence <laughs> gamer moment i have a cold he says six months before his lung cancer diagnosis no i never i never have a cough i literally just got a cold my wife and my son got sick too so debunked destroyed i think you should start a minecraft server where all the zombies are patriarch prime and the villagers are anime girls interesting One like equals one appreciation for Lexi. So true. Like, subscribe. Um, Lexi also said she would appreciate $100 super chats right in there. That's what she said she would appreciate. But she did put tomato on my gyro. I don't know what I think about that. Not a big fan of tomato. Okay, good. Any uh, arguments re-transub similar to the Trinity in that regard? More so to show it's not illogical than irrefutably proved. Exactly. Yes. Uh, this is what Ryan heard, uh, if you if you uh, know Ryan heard, when I talked to him about uh, transubstantiation a bit and the nature of a mystery is that transubstantiation can't be something which can be demonstra demonstrably demonstra demonstratively proved uh, and necessarily proved from reason alone. It's you, it's a it's an essentially supernatural mystery that is received by faith. So uh, on the flip side of that, uh, just as the Trinity and just as Saint Thomas says in Chapter One of uh, De Rationibus Fide, 
uh, it also can't be demonstrably uh, disproved by reason. So it's kind of a, a two-edged sword right there. You're giving six to your wife and son. No, no. So I've heard Peter Lombard teaches that the sins of the elect will not be revealed on Judgment Day. Is this a fringe and erroneous opinion, or is it acceptable in the Catholic tradition? Let me let me check on. Oh, what you guys? They're back. They're back in the pleb VC while I'm streaming. I'm getting debunked. I'm disabling their video. Muting them. They won't be able to talk to each other. They can hang out all they want. Okay, but I'm gonna check real quick. I know exactly where to look. Okay, let's take a second to load. So you guys have fun conversing while I find this. Okay, so the purgatory, purgatory, fires of hell, damned. Duration of hell, existence of hell, beatitude. Come on now. Particular judgment. Okay. Uh, where's the where's the final judgment? Darn nabbit. Did I go past it? Future resurrection. Second coming of Christ. General judgment. There it is. Okay. So, page 481. Trust me, I will I will find this for you. See, this is why I never get through through these. Because I'm always I'm always uh looking through. Here the adjuncts of the general judgment. Um, the matter of judgment. The place of judgment. Hmm. There doesn't seem to be any sort of theological note attached to it. So I think it might just be a, a, a sort of weird um, view. I don't know. I don't see, I don't see anything about any sort of theological note being attached to it. Why don't you talk about your views on the atonement? It's not developed enough. That's why. Too much of a dummy. Gy gyro? Is it, it, a why? There's already a why. Filthy Anglo? Trolled. What are your thoughts on Robert Filner's 2012 campaign? Do you think we can appropriate? What in the world are these questions, dude? I am, I'm getting bombarded. 
former mayor of San Diego. Okay, so he resigned amid multiple allegations of sexual harassment, uh, false imprisonment, and bribery. Oh, what was his campaign? Um, He is Jewish. Interesting. Impressive. Very nice. So who are your three favorite popes and why? Number one, obviously, Pope St. Pius X. Um, just because he was an overall Chad, he was just having apocalyptic visions of modernism and then just like utterly annihilating them. Second is um, going to be Pope Leo XIII uh, because he brought about the neoscholastic revival. Third, Pope St. Pius V obvious reasons because he absolutely annihilated the Islamic horde. Okay. 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 So wait, so is to say works plus faith justify erroneous? Well, when it comes to, so this is a very complicated question. So usually the question we're asking uh, by this is like the faith plus, plus works is, is going to be the wrong question. Um, because what St. Thomas is going to say is that when it comes to the state of justice, it's not going to be a certain state which is determined by outward acts, but it's going to be a state which is determined by certain virtues. And the, the supernatural virtues of justice are going to be uh, faith, which is formed by charity. So it, it, people kind of have a, have a weird and wrong um, view of exactly what the state of justice is and um, how, how to fit in the preparations of the state of justification, how to fit in the state of justification itself, how merit fits in there. And uh, by, when, we, when we're fitting in merit, which are certain uh, rewards which are given um, for for obedience in the state of justification. Uh, that is, that's that's kind of it's kind of a category error to just smash uh, merit in with the with with the interior virtue of the state of justification. It is um, so so like when, when when you come at it from a Protestant background or when you talk to Protestants about it, uh, it, it's just we're completely speaking past each other. And I've noticed especially that converts have a very difficult time with. And I myself am a convert, so it's a very difficult time with understanding exactly what the church means um, when it comes to justification. But yes, in, in the sense that most people mean it, uh, yes, it, it is erroneous. In, in, in the sense that most people mean it, again, in making that very clear, in the sense that most people mean it, as if um, outward uh, works are somehow um, the uh, formal cause of justification rather than the uh, interior grace of justification, sanctifying grace being the formal cause of justification. Oh my gosh. What are your thoughts on the Arbor View High School's new varsity football roster? <coughs> I have no idea. Okay. 
Okay, I'm going to answer one more question. Um, Jack, yes, tips on marriage. I'm getting married in two weeks. If I had to give one piece of marriage advice, what would it be? Um, get over yourself. It's, it's, it's about it. Um, yeah, is especially uh, for the for the man is kind of just need to get over yourself. Um, you're not as important as you think. You know, we we have uh, at least I myself have a certain tendency towards um, self inflation and an elevation of self importance when it comes to especially the the role in the family. Um, but really, uh, rather than being an opportunity to domineer. Um, it's really an opportunity to um, greater um, penance, to, to, to greater uh, wrangle your passions in. Um, and by that, I mean to to step down your pride by um, given, given your, your position of authority as head to use that as an opportunity to serve. And, and you see that in uh, examples of any sort of great uh, leader in, in larger contexts is that even though they have extremely uh, great authority is that they they use that authority not for their own gain or to lift themselves up but they really use it uh, for the good of the one the ones in which they rule over and obviously the exemplar of that is is in Christ Jesus our Lord so that's the that's advice that I would I would uh, uh, at least give myself if I was about to if I was in your position and I was two weeks away from marriage again. Okay, let's see if there's anything. Tip one, don't receive tips from Christian B. Wagner. Unironically true. Okay. Oh, if you poop in the urinal, is that a sin? <laughs> um, you know, when I was like in first grade, I remember distinct that that's actually one of my first <laughs> One of my first memories is me doing that. Um, okay, so there, there's like a trillion questions, but I'm going to have to leave you guys be. So thank you. Uh, it was great talking to you guys, and uh, God bless.